Welcome to another episode of the Dynasty Underground. I'm your host, Derek Walmack. You can follow us on Twitter at Dino Underground, D-Y-N-O Underground on Twitter. And today is the first episode of the Sleepers, Breakouts, and Busts episode. I'm going to be going through each division and picking out you know, my favorite sleeper, breakout, and bust per division. I'm going to be doing the NFC East and the AFC East to start, uh, start the series out. So, let's just go ahead and jump on into it. Starting with the NFC East. My favorite sleeper from this division is Darius Slayton. So wide receiver, eh, average draft position of wide receiver 45 in 14 games last year had 48 catches, 740 yards, and eight touchdowns. That's as a rookie, and there's not a whole lot. I mean, there's a lot of potential target competition with Slayton. Obviously, Saquon Barkley is a great pass catcher. Um, Sterling Shepard has shown flashes. We know Golden Tate has been a great player in the past, but you know he's been dealing with some injuries, and he's getting a little bit older now. And then, obviously, we have um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the tight end Evan Ingram. <laughs> I kept wanting to say Gerald Everett. We've got Evan Ingram at tight end. So there's, I mean, there's some some legitimate target competition there but I mean as a rookie putting up those kinds of numbers that's I mean that's pretty impressive especially considering he was playing with a rookie quarterback as well um, and that's kind of another another deal that I like about this thing is because this is a dynasty podcast we're talking about a rookie wide receiver drafted you know, with a rookie running back. I mean, rookie quarterback. You know, Sterling Shepard, I believe, is on, what, year two of his second contract. And, you know, Golden Tate, I mean, he'll be out the door in a year or two. So, I mean, I said two years from now, we could be looking at Darius Slayton as the... I mean, really, if he plays to his, if he takes a step forward, like DJ Moore did, like Cortland Sutton did, like some of these, you know, rookie wide receivers go, or I mean, do from year one to year two, he could establish himself as the number one wide receiver, anyways, even without Sterling Shepard leaving, without Golden Tate leaving. So, I mean, I don't really know the contract situations of those guys um, off the top of my head. Um, I know oftentimes teams can get out of players' contracts early if they want to with minimal, uh, with minimal repercussions. So we're talking about a player, like I said, at wide receiver, ADP of wide receiver 45, looked great last year, showed great rapport with his quarterback. And like I said, all he needs to do is just, you know, take that step forward that we want from all of our rookie wide receivers from year one to two. And if he does that, he'll likely be the number one option in that passing game anyways, because he's 
he looks the most like, you know, the the prototypical alpha at six one. He's only 190 pounds, but you know, you got the smaller guys there with Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate, the more kind of you know slot guys. Um, so I mean, like I said Darius Slayton looks like an ex receiver, and he was great as a rookie, you know, for a rookie. And like I said, ADP of wide receiver 45, there's not a whole lot of risk that goes into that selection anyways, but there is a bunch of upside, especially when we're talking about Dynasty in particular. That is going to bring me to my breakout from the NFC East. And it's a player I've talked about before. It's a running back, the running back for the Washington Redskins. Darius Geis, um, like I said, eighth round ADP going as RB 30, the 30th running back taken off the board. And this, I mean, this 2020 season is a true breakout opportunity for Darius Geis, especially if you can acquire him at the RB 30 price. I mean, he turns into a true candidate to be a league winner. All he has to do, all Darius Geis has to do to make your team better is play most of the season. Like, I mean, basically the whole season. That's all he's got to do. Because he's not going as RB30 because he's been, his performance has been disappointing when he's on the field. He's going as RB30 because he's a quote-unquote question mark because he's been hurt. But the Redskins haven't done much to replace him. I know they drafted Antonio Gibson, who's, you know, kind of the hybrid player. Um... I mean, we'll see, but like I said, the RB30, even if Antonio Gibson gets gets some work, you're not, you're not wasting a whole lot of capital, you know, getting Darius Geis at the RB30 price tag. So like I said, all, and if Darius Geis does play, you know, 14, 15, hopefully even 16 games, I mean, that's how you, that's how you win leagues is you get that player that late that smashes his draft position. Um, I mean, he's the cheapest workhorse back that I can recall, at least off the top of my head. And like I said, when you acquire that type of upside at those kind of affordable prices, I mean, it's how you it's how you win leagues. Adrian Peterson's there. I mean, okay, so what? I mean, Chris Thompson's gone, and they brought in Bryce Love. Uh, Antonio Gibson, you know, sure, but let's let's rewind two years ago. Darius Geis was the clear number two rookie draft pick right after Saquon Barkley. Darius Geis, when he's carried the ball in the NFL, has looked good. This whole offense, I would. I would assume will be a little bit better this year. Dwayne Haskins should mature a little bit. Um, <laughs> I mean, kind of speechless right now because I keep looking. Like I have, you know, my screen in front of me that says Darius Geis, and next to his name says RB thirty, and it keeps throwing me through a loop just because. Like I said if he's healthy, his floor is much higher than RB thirty. And his ceiling is way higher than RB. His ceiling is a low-end 
RB1 because if he is healthy, he's likely going to be, if not a true every down workhorse, I mean, something pretty close to it. Um, so like, like I said, if you can, if you can draft, if you're doing a startup, I would recommend targeting Darius Geis, um, in trades. If you can get Darius Geis for, I mean, something equivalent to running back 30 price tag, that's a slam dunk to me. That's especially if it's, you know, if it's a wide receiver, you know, I, I, I don't think anybody would give you guys for Darius Slayton, like a Darius Slayton type, you know, like a rookie wide receiver who showed some flashes, you know, Darius Slayton, Preston Williams. I mean, I like these players, but they're not going to give you the type of league winning upside that Darius guys can. So if you are, if you can trade, you know, a risk reward wide receiver, you know, somebody likes the upside you know, especially a young guy that, you know, they just, they want to get some youth on their team. If you can trade that player for a running back with Darius Geis' upside, that's how you do it. And quite frankly, that's how you win leagues. Because, like I said, I don't know that anybody would give you Geis for a Preston Williams or a Darius Slayton. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, just, you know, just a player of that ilk, you know, a player that a lot of people do like. Um, you know, I mean, that player, even if Preston Williams or Darius Layton come, comes out next year and produces as a nice, you know, middle to low end wide receiver too, that's not really winning you leagues. That's not even hardly moving the needle because odds are you've got other wide receivers on your team that on a weekly basis are going to be fairly close to that anyways. So, and like I said, I'm always going to side towards the running back side of a trade usually anyways, unless it's something just super ridiculous. But yeah, Darius guys, true breakout potential and a true candidate to actually become like the breakout that wins leagues. That's going to take me to my bust candidate for the NFC East. And it's Amari Cooper. And it's kind of a tricky one. It's kind of complicated, you know, because, you know, you can't really say C.D. Lamb because he's, he's being, I think C.D. Lamb is probably being drafted too high. I think I saw... Ray Garvin on Twitter say he saw CeeDee Lamb drafted as the 15th wide receiver taken in a startup. That's too high. I love CeeDee Lamb. That's too high. <laughs> um, but, you know, even if he, even if CeeDee Lamb comes out and doesn't have a stellar rookie year, I mean, that's not really a bust because he is a rookie and expectations are tempered. And Michael Gallup crossed my mind, but... I decided not to go with him for a couple of reasons. The main reason being I like Michael Gallup and it seems like most people, like I said, are tempering their expectations. So if Michael Gallup goes out and underperforms, he's not really a bust at that point. And then 
you look at some of these other some of these other players in the divisions. I mean, Miles Sanders seems like he is. I mean, I can't really find a whole lot of downside with Miles Sanders. Terry McLaurin can't really find a whole lot of downside with McLaurin. Um, all the wide receivers in at you know at the Giants are going fairly late, so I mean it'd be hard to consider them a bust, you know, regardless of how they produce. So Amari Cooper is going pretty high. Amari Cooper is being drafted as the wide receiver nine in the second round. So that's where the bust potential really comes into play for me. Because, I mean, he, the, some, some of the players he's going ahead of are players like Jonathan Taylor, Derek Henry, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Austin Eckler, um, Aaron Jones, Kenny Galladay, Julio Jones sometimes, Odell Beckham Jr., and Allen Robinson. Like, these guys, these wide receivers, these running backs, are going either right around or after Amari Cooper. And I mean just look at look at these running backs. You know, let's say you're in the second round. You're in the you know back half of the second round. Let's say you selected Dalvin Cook, you know, in the first round. Would you want to pair someone like you know Derrick Henry? Aaron Jones, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Austin Eckler, um, Leonard Fournette, Todd Gurley, you know, depending on what you're going for, would you want to you know, pair one of those running backs with Dalvin Cook or Amari Cooper or, you know, a Kenny Galladay and Allen Robinson and Julio Jones and Odell Beckham Jr.? Like, Odell Beckham Jr. had a quote-unquote bad season in 2019 in his first year in a new offense with a new team and a second year quarterback and he still had over a thousand yards so Odell has not really fallen off like he performed pretty well given his situation given, given his circumstances last year plus if you want to throw in the fact that he allegedly was playing with a sports hernia basically the whole year so I mean it's just with Amari Cooper it's kind of a roster construction thing because I, like I said, I fully expect Amari Cooper to score plenty of fantasy points. And you look at Cooper at the end of the year and he's, you know, he finishes pretty high, but it is not a fun ride. And if you've ever owned Amari Cooper in fantasy, especially these last few years, I mean, just, has it been fun? Hasn't been fun owning Amari Cooper. Are you, are you ever like, yeah, Thank God going into this week, I've got Amari Cooper because I really need some points. And he's definitely the guy that's going to get them for me. I don't think so. <laughs> like, I mean, I've owned Amari Cooper. It's I've not enjoyed the ride whatsoever. You know, with his, and with his history of sporadic production, the added target competition in CD Lamb, and some of the high weekly floors of those other players, you know, that I laid out there, you know, running backs and uh, wide receivers, respectively. And I, I mean, you know, Travis Kelsey, you're getting a Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Mark Andrews range. Like, 
I might rather I might rather have one of those three guys than Amari Cooper just because like when when you have Amari Cooper on your team especially if, if Amari Cooper is your wide receiver one you don't really have a a locked and loaded advantage over your opponent's wide receiver one more than likely I mean, like I said, I did a mock draft or talked about a mock draft on this episode where I didn't draft a wide receiver until the fourth round. Amari Cooper's going in the second. I didn't draft a wide receiver until the fourth round, and it was Allen Robinson. Give me Allen Robinson, I mean, straight up on my fantasy team all day over Amari Cooper, just, I mean, because Allen Robinson will be a target vacuum. Allen Robinson is also a talented player in his own right. And he's going two rounds later. So that's where the bust potential comes in for me is because he's going, Amari Cooper is going so high, you know, as a top 10 wide receiver, wide receiver nine. And there's, I don't, he doesn't, like I said, he doesn't offer the, the positional advantage. So I don't really see, I don't really see where Amari Cooper is going to return value, but when he does his, you know, disappearing acts that he sprinkles in there every now and then, that's really going to hurt your roster, especially when you factor in, you know, these running backs that you're passing out to take him. Like I said, you pair up, you know, Amari Cooper is your wide receiver one. I mean, who... I mean, who are you going to have a decided advantage over? Like when you go in, let's say you start three wide receivers in your league and Amari Cooper is your wide receiver one, and you're going up against the guy week one who, let's say you went Dalvin Cook, Amari Cooper, Todd Gurley to start your draft. So your two running backs are Dalvin Cook and Todd Gurley. And then Amari Cooper is your wide receiver. And then because you went, you know, wide receiver with your second round pick, you know, you had to draft your flex, you know, in the fourth round. And let's say that was, let's see, let's pull up, let's pull up the, running backs going in the fourth round, the running backs and the wide receivers going in the fourth round, because I think this could be a pretty helpful exercise. So let's just, let's put our thinking caps on our imagination caps. If that's even a thing. Okay. Let's say you selected Dalvin cook in the first, you selected Amari Cooper in the second and someone like, um, let's say Leonard Fournette in the third, because I, I mean, I like Leonard Fournette quite a bit still. And then that left you to start searching the fourth round, like who? DJ Chark. So now you're looking at a, you know, a, let's say you're looking at Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette as your RB one and two. Amari Cooper as your wide receiver one, and someone like DJ Chark in your flex. 
In week one, you go up against the player who is drafting right after you. And they have Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry as their RB1s and 2s. They've got Todd Gurley in their flex and Allen Robinson as their wide receiver one. And then now y'all are drafting your wide receiver twos and threes at the same spot. So that's kind of where my bust potential is with Amari Cooper is you have no positional advantage anywhere. I mean, except really, I think you're, I would rather have Gurley over Chark at least for 2020. So, I mean, the player after you got three running backs with running back one upside plus a wide a wide receiver one that's going to be right there with Amari Cooper and is probably likely going to be much more consistent than Amari Cooper. And you are you've got two running backs with RB1 upside. And you know, in your flex is you know someone is probably going to be a wide receiver too. So that's kind of where the roster construction plays into this prediction of Amari Cooper being a bust. It's not because I don't think he's going to score fantasy points, because I fully expect him to. But when you start thinking about how your roster is going to look and the players that you have to select Amari Cooper and you know over well that kind of there's no value there's no real value to be had unless somehow like i said with the addition of who is in my opinion the best wide receiver in the 2020 draft unless somehow all of a sudden Amari Cooper becomes a target hog i mean like I said, Allen Robinson is going two rounds after Amari Cooper. And let's just pull up let's pull up their stats from a year ago. Amari Cooper, 72 reception. No, sorry, that was 2015. 79 receptions on 119 targets. So, you know, that's fine. That's that's perfectly, you know. It's perfectly acceptable. But when you compare that to Allen Robinson, like I said, going two full rounds later, this dude had 98 receptions on 154 targets. So, like I said, Allen Robinson caught more balls on more targets a year ago, has essentially no added target competition. Amari Cooper gets, like I said, at least according to most people, gets one of the best wide receiver prospects of the draft to go compete for targets with him. So it just doesn't really make sense to me to be taking uh, Amari Cooper there when you should be going, you should likely be going running back. And that is going to bring me to my sleepers, breakouts, and busts from the AFC East division. So, my sleeper for this division 
and <laughs> I tried I tried so hard not to write this guy's name down. Um, I didn't want to type it in to my notes. <laughs> I, I didn't like any part of it because I mean this guy is a dinosaur, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what I think of this player. It matters what NFL teams and coaches think of this player. And I'm sure if you haven't guessed by now, I'm sure you've guessed by now, honestly, <laughs> it's Jordan Howard. And I know I, just, I had to, I had to like stop and take a breath after I just uttered Jordan Howard's name <laughs> as a sleeper on these airwaves because I've done nothing but want Jordan Howard to go away for basically <laughs> his entire career. <laughs> but I'm like, and when I know, you know, I say it doesn't matter what I think, it matters what NFL teams think. And I know the Bears traded him for a sixth round pick and he's not making a ton of cash in Miami and blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, what I mean by that is, you know, he was, Jordan Howard was being like force fed targets. I I mean at least for I'm not his whole tenure in Chicago or Philadelphia but I mean there was what you, I think it was 2018 especially for the first few games the Bears were trying to get Jordan Howard involved in the passing game and then when they realized he couldn't that he was still getting a bunch of carries and you know a bunch of touches then, like I said, they trade him for a sixth-round pick to Philadelphia. Philadelphia, like I said, gives up a sixth-round pick for Jordan Howard, drafts Miles Sanders in the second round of 2019, and is still leaning in favor of Jordan Howard until he gets injured. <clears throat> and then he goes to Miami. Miami doesn't do anything in the draft. They don't sign any big-name free agent wide receivers. The only really competition they bring in is Matt Breida. And I think we all like Matt Breida's upside, but he's been, like I said, he's been sporadic at best. And here's where, you know, the quote unquote sleeper status comes in for me is Jordan Howard is being drafted 10 running backs behind Matt Breida. Matt Breida is the 39th running back going off the board. Jordan Howard is the 49th running back going off the board. We're talking about a team in Miami who has, you know, bolstered their defense a little bit, bolstered their offensive line a little bit in the draft, um, drafted to a tongue of Iowa. Like this team should be better than it was a year ago. Jordan Howard is going to be on the field. Like, I mean, Matt Breida, I know everybody likes to think of Matt Breida as some, you know, Tariq Cohen-esque, Austin Eckler-esque player, but he's not. Matt Breida has averaged 30 targets per year over the course of his career. 
Guess how many targets Jordan Howard has averaged per year over the course of his career? 30. He's averaged 30 targets. He's averaged the same amount of targets every year as Matt Breida. And I know you're saying, oh, well, you know, Matt Breida has missed some time due to injury. Blah, blah. Okay, well, Jordan Howard only played 10 games last year. So he missed a little less than half the season and is still averaging the same amount of targets as Matt Breida. This is not me saying that Jordan Howard is as good of, you know, as good in the passing game as Matt Breida, but this is me saying that he's going to be on the field more. He's 100% going to get more carries. I mean, their targets, I mean, if they're if we're going by their career averages, their targets will be similar enough to where Jordan Howard is going to outscore Matt Breida. Like, that's, I mean, I know it's not fun to think about Jordan Howard still being relevant in fantasy, but the fact of the matter is, is that he's going to have a great opportunity to be in 2020. Um, like I said, he's, he's definitely going to be in there in goal line situations. I mean, and like I said, that's where, you know, the sleeper status comes in because he's, I mean, you talk about a player being slept on. He's not even being drafted as the first running back in his own backfield, but he is almost assuredly going to get the most touches in that backfield. So it doesn't really make it doesn't really make sense to me that that player is being drafted as late as he is compared to a player like Matt Breida. That's going to bring me to my breakout from the AFC East and it's the aforementioned Preston Williams going as the 53rd wide receiver off the board. I know it was kind of inflated by that last game he played, but he was a top 30 wide receiver last year uh, before he ended up getting injured. And that's as a rookie. And I'll bet this, I believe, as an undrafted rookie. And, I mean, we don't see very many undrafted players, undrafted wide receivers, go on for fantasy success. Yeah, Preston Williams, undrafted free agent. But, like I said, this is a player that flashed. He's 6'4", 211. So he's got the size we want. He's not, you know, very fast or quick, measurably. But, you know, he was he was out there returning punts. That's how he got hurt, is returning punts. And that's what we want to see, especially, you know, if you're not, you know, the lightning fast player you know we see it all the time you know the golden tates the antonio browns the jarvis landry's the julian edelman's these players are not particularly fast but you know the randall cobbs but because i mean just because they are good at football they're good with the ball in their hands they're nuanced players with good vision and balance just a good feel for the game they're able to go out there and produce fantasy numbers and like i said 
being drafted as the wide receiver 53, I was kind of worried about who I was going to select as my breakout for this episode because I mean, I didn't want to go Sony Michelle because I don't think he's going to be very good. I didn't want to go Jared Stidham because one, I don't want to get on here and talk. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about quarterbacks in general. And two, I don't think Jared Stidham is going to be very good. Um, like I said, there's not really a whole lot of people I could have talked about on the Bills for this. Maybe Devin Singletary, maybe Zach Moss, but I, I mean, I think their touches are going to be so even that it's not going to be super fun having either one of them on your roster. And I think they're both going ahead of Preston Williams and drafts, anyways, off the top of my head. So when I saw that Preston Williams was being drafted as the 53rd wide receiver, that signals some true breakout opportunity to me, especially when Miami didn't really add any any target competition. Like I said, they added Jordan Howard and Matt Breida. I don't know I don't know how Matt Breida got this reputation of, you know, a Tariq Cohen, Austin Eckler player because he just hasn't been that like I said averages 30 targets a year that's less than two targets per game and yeah Mike Gusecki I think he will take a step forward um I did see an interesting stat on Twitter earlier I don't even remember who tweeted it so it really sucks that I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna be able to go back and reference it word for word or even give the guy credit who put it out there. But their new offensive coordinator their offensive coordinator in Miami, every year except for one year where uh, he had Tony Gonzalez as his tight end. Basically every year other than that year the tight end production in his offense has been at the bottom. I mean, I'm talking late 20s into the 30s as far as rankings and production. And I generally don't like to, you know, do a whole lot of coach-centric analysis. But when the track record is that long and there's really only one season of fantasy production on the resume – I mean, I, I tend to, I tend to factor that in a little bit. I don't put all my eggs into that basket because, I mean, I don't remember who all of the tight ends were in these situations. And I think Mike Gusecki is a good player. I think he took a step forward last year. And I think he's in line to take another step forward this year. But, like I said, we got, we have that target consolidation that I've talked about on a few other episodes is most of the targets are going to be funneled to Devonte Parker, Preston Williams, and maybe Mike Gusecki. If not Mike Gusecki, I mean that's even better for Preston Williams. Like I kind of hope I'm wrong about me liking Mike Gusecki because I like Preston Williams even more. And if Gusecki is not is either not very good or not going to be utilized that much. And we have two running backs that average 
less than two targets per game for their career. Well, that makes me like Preston Williams even more because that brings the target consolidation down to essentially two players. And of course, Miami is going to be throwing the football, especially if Ryan Fitzpatrick is the quarterback. I love Tua Tungavailoa. I want him to be a good football player. I think he will be a good football player. But in my leagues where I'm contending and I have Preston Williams, I want Ryan Fitzpatrick as the quarterback of that team. I'm sorry. You know, you see so many of these quarterbacks coming in that they take care of the ball better. They want their players to be open before they throw the football. There's less, you know, I brought it up, I believe in the last episode, you know, talking about how the Des Bryant's and Demarius Thomas's and the Brandon Marshall's and Alshon Jeffries of the world are kind of fading away and more players like DJ Moore, Odell Beckham Jr., AJ Brown, um, Debo Samuel types are coming in, you know, the the shiftier, better route runners, the separators, you know, they're coming in. And I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence, you know, that it's coming in simultaneously with these quarterbacks that want to throw to their open players, you know, rather than have a guy like, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's just going to chuck it and trust his guy to make the play, you know, so Having you know a, a player like Devontae Parker and Preston Williams, it's pretty perfect. It's a perfect pairing for fantasy, at least, with Ryan Fitzpatrick. So, assuming he plays most of the season, I don't know what Miami's intentions are, obviously, but if it's a situation where they want Tua to sit out the year and just kind of learn and get some reps in when he can, you know, if Ryan Fitzpatrick is out there slinging the football, Preston Williams at an ADP of wide receiver 53 is going to return massive, massive value on that kind of investment. And that's going to bring me to the last player that I'm going to talk about on this episode, my bust for 2020 at least, for the AFC East, is Stephon Diggs. I love I love the player. I think he is, you know, immensely talented. Um, I, I don't even really have to make the argument for that. It's pretty clear that Stephon Diggs is a talented player. But the dude is being drafted as the wide receiver 19. But he's only had two years either at that number or better. He's had he's had one year as the wide receiver 10, and then one year as the wide receiver 19 in five seasons. So now we take him out of his spot and we move him to a different offense, which I've discussed, you know, my concerns on wide receivers changing teams before. 
and and it's not even it's not even just you know black and white you know wide receiver changing teams I'm gonna fade in my rankings but I mean there's there's no there's no uh, vacated targets in Buffalo really and like I said, I'm not I'm not using vacated targets as an end all be all but I do factor these things into the equation. I do think they are data points that should be looked at. And I mean Stefan Diggs hasn't been a target hog necessarily in his career. Um like I said, let's pull up. I know he's had I believe one year where he just vacuumed up a ton of targets. But yeah, I know he missed some of his rookie year. Missed three games his rookie year. Had 84 targets. Not bad. Then 112, um, 95, 149. And then last year, 94 targets. <clears throat> so he's only eclipsed 100 targets targets twice in his, in his career. Now he goes to Buffalo with... I mean, what seems like a pretty decent skill match, right? I mean, we have Stefan Diggs, not only a good, clean route runner, but can also stretch the field. And he goes to a quarterback, you know, a team with a quarterback with a strong arm. But he's just so erratic. I mean, and don't get me wrong. I'm not calling Josh Allen a bad NFL quarterback. He's better than I thought he was ever going to be at this point already in his career. But, I mean, like I said, he's he's not the most accurate passer. <clears throat> and you pair that with the fact that they have John Brown there. I mean, I don't love Cole Beasley, but, I mean, Cole, Cole Beasley has a long history of, you know, getting some targets. I mean, last year he had 106 targets, Cole Beasley did. So, I mean, if Stephon Diggs, if you give Stephon Diggs Cole Beasley his target share, that's going to be, what, the second best target share of Stephon Diggs' career. So, I mean, we have John Brown there. We have Cole Beasley, who, like I said, 106 targets last year. Um, <clears throat> we have Dawson Knox, who a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people liked you know, this time a year ago, coming to the league, um, and he showed some flashes last year. He could very well take a step forward and see some more targets. So, not only do I, I just don't know where. Like I said, Stephon Diggs hasn't been the player that's commanded a large target share. To begin with, he's being drafted drafted as the wide receiver nineteen. He's only had one season above that. He's had one season at 19, one season above 19 in his five-year career. Changing teams. There are no vacated targets. Um, two players there already that had 100 targets last year. Stephon Diggs has only ever had 100 targets twice in his career. So... I mean, that's, I mean, this is a straight out of the cookbook recipe for not getting proper value out of your investment. 
whether you're drafting him as the 19th wide receiver off the board or whether you're trading for him as the number 19 wide receiver. I mean, first of all, when you look at the fantasy points from the number 19 wide receiver to the number 30 wide receiver, we're talking a difference of what? You know, one and a half, two points per week, you know, in any given year. So if you're going to trade, if you want to trade for the player being valued as the wide receiver 19, the smarter play would be to give up less and go for, you know, the player being drafted, you know, the player being valued as the wide receiver 25 or 26. I mean, a player that could very well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know who that is exactly, but why don't we go ahead and pull it up? Because, like I said, if I'm if I'm doing a startup, or if I'm looking to add, you know, a wide a player with wide receiver two, you know, upside, you know, a wide receiver two range player, I am looking at Stephon Diggs with wide receiver nineteen value, DJ Chark you know, wide receiver 21, Terry McLaurin, wide receiver 23. We have Tyler Boyd, wide receiver 25, Robert Woods, wide receiver 26. So it does, that's, that's where it gets a little, a little dicey to me. Why on earth would you, would you be willing to pay wide receiver 19 price for Stefan Diggs? When, I mean, let, let's look at, this is a stat from at HearMeOutFB on, on Twitter. It was tweeting at me earlier. We were discussing, you know, Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods himself. It says, when Cooks was out for the second half of last season, Robert Woods was the wide receiver six with only one p- game below 15.7 PPR points. He was better than Cooper Cup, who was wide receiver 14 in that stretch. So Robert Woods, I I know I just said that he was a wide receiver one over the back half of last year. I think it's pretty clear that Robert Woods is going to be a top 20 wide receiver in 2020. I don't see any way Stephon Diggs, I mean, performing up to where he's being drafted in 2020. I mean, because of all the reasons I've listed, you know, an inaccurate quarterback, a seemingly run heavy offense, two player, two incumbent players that had a hundred targets over a hundred targets last year. And let me, I'm just assuming John Brown had a hundred targets because he did have a pretty impressive season last year. So let me let me vet this. Let me fact check just so I don't have anybody coming after me on Twitter. Yeah, 115 targets. John Brown had 115 targets in 2019. So like I said, inaccurate quarterback. There are two incumbents who had 100 targets last year. A running quarterback, two running backs that a lot of people, you know, project to get plenty of work a tight end 
that showed flashes as a rookie and should take another step forward. I just don't see, you know, I don't see not only where, you know, where Stephon Diggs lives up to that wide receiver 19 price tag, but some of these guys that are being drafted after Stephon Diggs, Keenan Allen, DJ Chark, Debo Samuel, Terry McLaurin, um, Tyler Boyd, Robert Woods, Jarvis Landry, Tyler Lockett. These are all players. Devontae Parker. These are all players that I would rather have straight up over Stephon Diggs, for at least for 2020. And forgive me if I'm putting an emphasis on the upcoming fantasy season. But you know, all these players I just named off, I just rattled off, what, seven or eight wide receivers that are being drafted after Stephon Diggs that I would rather have over Stephon Diggs in a vacuum, and you can get these guys cheaper. So that's where Diggs fits into my bust category is I just don't see any way he can return value on where he's being selected and the price tag next to his name. Um, that's that's gonna do it. I mean, I'm, I'm my heart rates up a little bit. You know, I'm a little I'm a little flushed. I don't even know why. I don't even dislike Stephon Diggs. I think he's an awesome. I think he's an awesome football player. Um, I don't I, I don't know. Maybe I just really hate the Bills. I don't feel like I do. I love their uniforms. Their uniforms are some of my favorite in the league. <laughs> so I, I just, I don't know why. I literally, like, my heart rate is up right now. I don't understand it. Um, but I, I'm going to cut myself off before I just start going after Stefan Diggs personally for some reason. I don't want to, I don't want to get on. I mean, I could too, because he's acted a little, a little silly you know, in the past few months, uh, you know, to put it nicely, but I'm not going to, cause that's not what I'm here to talk about. Um, like I said, I'm going to cut myself off before I just start down a rabbit hole that I can't come back from. Um, that's going to do it for this episode. I appreciate, appreciate you guys listening. Um, keep an out, keep an eye out for the next episode. Follow us on Twitter. That's at Dino Underground. I've been your host, Derek Womack. This has been the Dynasty Underground Show. As always, thanks for listening.